Um, we're in a series called Power of Words, and I don't have a lot of time, but I got 10 points. And so, how many believe in miracles? <laughs> I believe in miracles. Um, so, we're gonna, you're going to watch one today as we get through 10 points today. So, get ready, take notes. Uh, did you see the video that uh, April had? Did you watch that? It is an incredible miracle what God did in, in her life, and I know He's going to do it in your life. This morning, I'm going to talk about the fatal acts of the mouth. And some would say sins, their sins. I don't necessarily want to call it the sins of the mouth. I'd rather say, I think it's just more relevant to say the fatal acts of the mouth. And here's why. When you use your mouth to speak death, it affects you far more than it affects God. Your mouth isn't going to stop God from being God. It's not going to stop Him in any way, shape, or form. But it's going to have an incredible impact in the future of your life and in and your present aspect of your life. And so these are ten things that flow out of this nature, out of our mouth. And, and how many have discovered that the more we're talking a mouth, the more you're recognizing that you've got a problem with the mouth. Right? Like, like, it's like when you buy a car and then you see everybody else owns the car too and you're like, oh, there's so many of these cars. I never noticed that before. It's, when we're talking about it, it's like then you recognize, oh, like I got a real issue with the mouth. Like, like literally, maybe all of the things that are going on in my life has a whole lot less to do with God holding out on me because he doesn't hold out on me. And maybe God's wanted to bless my life for years and I just didn't recognize how much I'm stopping what God wants to do in my life with my words. Isn't it true? And yet, we know we can't be the power source to change our words. However, we have to be the person that submits to God and say, God, my words need change. Will you change my words today? It's we participate with the power source. To, there's, there's one person that, that will say, I'm going to try to change my mouth all by myself and you aren't going to succeed. Then there's the person that says, I have no responsibility for my mouth. Only God can change my mouth. And so I'm just going to just say, okay, God, I'm ready. Whenever you do it, you do it, but that's it. There's a, there's a participation, God in His power, and then we operate, and, and we do that in humility. And, and I ended in Richfield on this. I'm going to start in this message on this. Here, here's where it starts. If you want your mouth to change, you have to say, God, I submit my mouth to you. How many would say, God, I submit my mouth to you? Okay, well, better yet to say it this way, God, I submit my heart to you, because out of your heart, your mouth speaks. It's out of the overflow of your, your heart, your mouth speaks, right? So I submit my heart to you. When you do that, you can expect people to hold you accountable in this respect. Like when you use a word, they're going to call you out on it. How many know that's embarrassing? Right? How many know that's embarrassing? And we don't like embarrassing. Nobody here likes embarrassing. So, so we'd rather just ignore it than be embarrassed. But God gives grace, unmerited favor to the humble, but he opposes the... So how do we get our mouth changed? Through humility. Now, how many are ready to say, submit my heart to you? A lot less. That's not as many. Because I'd rather be, not be embarrassed and have a bad mouth that will infect my future, 
or, or I'm willing to deal with embarrassment if that's what it takes. I'm do, and willing to deal with humility in order to have a mouth that speaks life into my future. How many say that's where I want to be? Okay, so we're going to talk about the fatal acts of the mouth, and really this is a message that kind of shows you the impact of how our mouth affects our future. And if God occupies my praises, who occupies my complaints? If God occupies my praises, who occupies my complaints? Words are agreements. Who, who are we making agreements with? Who are you making agreements with in your words? So Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life, this is our theme verse, death and life are in the power of our tongue. This is probably one of the hardest messages to believe. We know it, but to believe it, it's, it's in the power of your tongue. And so I'm going to go to, and then Isaiah 59, 1 through 3, kind of gives us a list of them. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, but your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue has muttered perversities. Isn't it interesting? You know, we're in a battle. The battle we're fighting is not flesh and blood. It's not the person next to you. We don't believe that because if we believed it, we would never be offended again. We, we know the Bible says our battle's not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, but we don't believe the word. I, I just want the truth. Do you? Or do you want your truth? Because the truth is going to require Christians to change. Because the truth says politicians are not your enemy. The people who say things that you don't like are not your enemy. Our enemy is with a much more crafty being spiritual forces of darkness, demonic activity. Well, I don't want to believe that that even exists. And yet, you can be in a conversation with someone, and you'll talk about something, and they'll say something that in the context and in that moment, it won't bother you, but down the road, maybe a couple hours or a day or so later, that comes back to you, and then Satan reads it to you to the point where you get offended with what the person did or said. And you're thinking right now, I thought that was only me. It's everybody in this room, if you have blood in your body, right? And if you don't, we'll have a, just we're doing a baptismal service at the end, we'll have, we'll have a funeral service tonight for all those with no blood. If you got blood flowing, you got the enemy working against you, where do those thoughts come from? They're not coming from flesh and blood. They are coming from spiritual forces of darkness that are intent on sabotaging your future, so that you eventually, in your heart, it gets bitter, and then out of your heart flows words to sabotage your future and to bring death in the lives of people around you. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, there's a lot of scriptures I'm going through today. For though, and you should write notes, uh, that testimony of, of April is all the reason why you should be taking notes, because the Lord will take you back to something. For though we walk in flesh, in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to 
destroy strongholds, which is what the enemy wants to create in you, which is what an offense is. It becomes a stronghold in you. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. These are things where the enemy brings these thoughts and begins talking to you. Here's the sad part is there are many people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be Christians, believe they're Christians, but they listen more to the enemy than they do the Word of God. Their ears are in tune more to the frequency of the father of lies than they are to the frequency of truth. How do you know that's you? Because it's what you talk about. You don't talk about the Word of God. You're not talking about the love of God. You're not, you're not talking about... All you're doing is talking about how bad this country is, how bad our leaders are, how bad the teachers are, how bad, how bad... Where does that all come from? That doesn't come from truth. That comes from another place, another source. What is the source of my conversation? I asked a gentleman one time, I said, do you think that it's more important that we be believers in God or Republicans? And he said, Republicans. I said, friend, let me introduce you to Jesus because you're going to hell. He was appalled and offended. I said, the moment you put Republican over God, Democrat over God, you identified your location is hell. I'm just being, you say, well, you ain't going to grow a big church. I'm not, that's not my goal. When we get to heaven, I'm trying to build the kingdom of heaven. That's what we should all be trying to do, right? This is about, this is, the, this is people being true to where they're at so they can experience this because this should be fun. Church should be fun. This experience should be fun. We shouldn't have to force you to worship God. Right? Good music shouldn't be what gets you to worship God. God should be why we worship God. God is the reason. His goodness, His mercy, His love, His power is new every morning in my life. I should be happy. You say, well, I don't know why I'm not happy and doing all this. Because you haven't met Jesus yet. And someone told you you were born again and you're not. Does that mean you don't have moments of dip? No, it, it comes, they come, I get it. But there's something abiding in me. That's steadfast, friend. It's steadfast. That's what you got to pursue. That's what you got to go after. And it's powerful in your life. It will change your life. And boy, I'm getting a little bolder. Because I am tired of the dead stuff that doesn't produce fruit in us. The Bible says in John 15, there is a vine. And if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And that's even the fruit of your mouth will bring life. An abundant life, right? So put a smile on your face. Turn a person next to you. Let them tell you. No, that's not a smile. Let's, let, that's, put a smile on your face. Because it's a lot easier to preach to people smiling back at you than those are. <laughs> First message I ever preached was in a German church in Michigan where we were at. And I thought I saw the reincarnation of Hitler in the back row. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That dude looked at me like he was Hitler. I could have swore at one point his mustache even shrank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first time I ever preached, I was new to ministry. I mean, I was just out of college. It was not easy. It was so bad. Anyway, that's another day. Proverbs 10, 11 says, The mouth of a good person is a deep 
life-giving well, but the mouth of the wicked is a dark cave of abuse. What would people say about your mouth? They had to choose. Look at this next one in Proverbs. The speech of a good person clears the air, but the words of a wicked pollute it. <laughs> oh, when you come into a room, are people running <laughs> from you? Or is there something you do when you walk in the room where they're like, oh, they're here? There are words that can change an atmosphere. When a person of life comes in, they can change an atmosphere. There are, so there are 10 fatal acts of the mouth. And the first one is lying, lying. The first one is lying. You know, Proverbs has three themes, uh, money, morals, and mouth. If you've got a problem with your money, morals, or mouth, you should be reading Proverbs. That's everyone in here, <laughs> right? If you're sitting there thinking whether that's you, that's you. Proverbs 6.16 says this, it says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination. This is interesting because abomination is, is exactly what it sounds. All right? You don't need, you almost don't, there's some words you don't need a uh, definition for because it just sounds bad. Like abomination, that, that, okay, I get it. That's not good, right? And he says, these are all abominations. A proud look, a what? Say it with me. A lying tongue. Proverbs 12, says this, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Now, this, this is interesting because, and, and this, this statement is going to make you think, it's going to have, it's just going to make you stop because lying is the opposite of the nature of God. Lying is the, God doesn't just speak truth, he is truth. So, so think of it this way. The reason we have a problem with the use of our tongue is because we either don't know God, who he is, or we don't know who we are. The reason we have a problem with our tongue is because we're insecure about ourselves or we're insecure about him. Okay? So, listen to this statement. This is like, when you lie, this is like leaving the throne of God and worshiping at the throne of Satan. When you lie, you lie because you are afraid of either the consequences or what will occur if you tell the truth. So you lie to try to become your protector because you are going to create the good in you when in reality, God is the only one who can do that for you. And he is, I am the way, the, and life. Satan is the father of. So when I lie in that moment, I leave the throne of truth and I go to the throne of the, the, the throne of Satan, and I say, "Praise you, Satan. You are worthy, Satan, of my praise when you lie." <laughs> Some of you lied this morning, you're thinking, "I just worship Satan." That's right. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. 
He wants you to come, and he gets more of a kick out of you lying and, and literally just lifting him up in praise. You see, if God's your protector, tell the truth. It will go better for you. Here's, uh, before I go on to the next one, here's, here's something else. How many tend to exaggerate? <laughs> right? Nobody's raising their hand, but everybody's getting bumped. <laughs> right? You got a grandma over here saying, <laughs> Right? pointing at the granddaughter. When a grandmother throws their granddaughter out of the bus, you got a problem with exaggerating. <laughs> like, that's a real issue in your life. Your own grandmother throws you under the bus. Right? How, how many? Just be honest. Be honest. Because this is humility. Remember what I said? I'm going to be humble. I have a problem exaggerating, right? That's lying. When we, it's one thing, if you're, you're telling a story, and you're, but everybody kind of knows you're exaggerating, but but when you exaggerate, then nobody knows what is true and what isn't of true of that, right? The, and how many are the opposite of exaggerating? And you'll say there are 37.5 in the room because one of them was pregnant. And that's to the, like, like you're painfully right there. And by the way, it can't have 0.5. It's a baby in the womb. But, but right? Uh, raise your hand. That's you. We had a couple over here. Uh, no one else. We got a lot of exaggerators in here. Who knows what's true, right? <laughs> right? So exaggerating is the same thing. And when you get offended, we tend to exaggerate it being worse than it actually is. We tend to make, a, we kind of make it bigger so we feel more justified. And then that makes us more angry. You know what else exaggerating does? Exaggerating causes you to believe a lie. Because how many exaggerate and then you start believing your own exaggeration as though it was fact? We all think we pray a lot, right? We exaggerate how we exercise. Yeah, I go to gym four times a week. You haven't been to gym in four weeks and four months. <laughs> Here's number two, sowing discord. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks his, with his eye. He shuffles his feet. He point, It's like the writer of Proverbs was thinking of somebody when he wrote that. <laughs> I, I'd love to meet that guy he's talking about someday. Like, this was a guy and there's people like him, you know? And then he says, he devises evil continually and he sows discord. That word sow is interesting because... If you sow something, you're going to reap it. But you're not going to reap it in the measurement of what you sowed. It's going to be multiplied, pressed down, shaken together, and running over in your life. So if you're experiencing a lot of discord in a lot of areas of your life, the Instead of complaining and fighting people, you should stop and find out what seeds you've been throwing out. What have I been doing? People who sow discord will reap calamity. You know, uh, I don't remember where it was, but I heard this story of a guy who was struggling in his marriage. 
And, uh, and I don't remember where it was or how it happened, but I asked the question. I said, well, who are their best friends? Who's her best friends? And she goes, They're all, four of them are all divorced. I said, that would probably be the source of the problem in this, right? When, when you have a spouse, and I always say this in weddings, when, the, when, the, when we're doing the rehearsal, I do this all the time. I'll have all of the people at the rehearsal, and I'll say, you realize you have a responsibility that if either one of them come to you and they talk negatively about their spouse, you're to encourage them to go back. In no way, you're committing and making a vow now, in no way will you contribute to the discord of that marriage. You stand with that union. You saw it, you witnessed it, you put your word to it. So when they come back, you don't participate in tearing down that, well, they were my friend before they are married. It doesn't matter. Then get out of the wedding. You shouldn't be on the wedding party. The, the, the wedding party is all about people who are now, I was with him, now I'm with them. Now, now they're both with me. I'm with them both. See, we don't take seriously because that will come back. When you take a side, it's going to start to, you're going to reap calamity in your own life. There are people that are trying to sow discord in the lives of people. Here's number three. Uh, you'll love this one. is gossip. Anyone know a gossip? <laughs> I won't ask the next question. Spreading intimate and private rumors or facts. It says in Proverbs, a gossip tells secrets, so don't hang around with someone who talks too much. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Because when I read that, everyone's thinking right now, do I talk too much? Right? Right? Are people thinking of me when, I, when he said that? We're always worried about what people think about us which is why we have a problem with the tongue because we always use it to try to shape what people think about us. It's why we have a problem with gossip uh, because we want people to like us, so we're going to share something with them so that they maybe like us better. 2 Corinthians 12, 20 says, For I'm afraid that when I come to visit you, I won't like what I find, and then you won't like my response. I'm afraid I will find quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfishness, backstabbing, and gossip. You know how we disguise gossip, by the way? Right here. Look at this. I'm going to tell you this so that you can pray. You know what the problem is? You're not praying. That's the problem. We're not praying. I'm just going to tell you this. Um, I'm really burdened about this person, so I want to tell you. Here's a good way to, to know whether or not you should say what you're about to say, and hopefully it doesn't, that it becomes gossip, hopefully, is would I want someone to tell someone else if this was my truth? If this was my secret, would I mind if they told somebody that? I, I would probably guess to say, no, you wouldn't. Here's, here's number four. Here's the big one, slander. Now, that's a that's a pretty bad word. How many say that's pretty bad, right? Here's what it is. A false and malicious statement or report about something. We often will pass on information that we receive secondhand and not certain of their factual or true. <laughs> Here's common slander. Because you might find out you've been doing common slander for a while now. 
Here's what I mean. It's, it's not true. It's not factual. It's not. It's called the internet. <laughs> and there's this thing in the internet called social media. And you get on the internet and you read something about something that agrees with what you think. And this guy gets on and he says, I was the senior advisor to the assistant of the mechanical intelligence agency under George Bush. He must know what he's talking about. And he says everything that you've already known. And you go and tell somebody, there's this guy who was under the George Bush administration. You didn't even check to see if that existed. Can I tell you something? When you do, you'll find out there was no such position, and that guy was never in the administration of George Bush. He just merely told you that so that you would think he's credible and listen to everything he had to say. And the moment you repeated what he said to someone else, you became a slanderer. Er, er. I am the senior assistant to the chief of staff of the common interrogator of the whatever. I can't think of it. So now listen to what I have to say. Is this making sense? Some of you are thinking, oh man, I've been slandering. Can I ask you a question? At what point in your life did the enemy convince you that it was okay to slander your leaders? What experience, what moment in our life did we, we get to where we completely threw out any biblical reasoning to say it was okay to tear down people, the object of God's love? And we wonder why we can't get great leaders in our country. It's because the moment a great leader like a Gary over here starts running, we get into their Google searches and we get into every mistake they've ever committed in their life. We re-research and investigate every single person they've ever interacted with to try to discover something they might have said that was wrong so that we can then tear them down and then we wonder why nobody who's of any character wants to run. Would you? What would they dig up in your past? Let he who has no stone be the first to throw the one. And tell them, it, I know you don't have to agree with all their policies, but you do have to respect and love the person. It's, it's a biblical truth. It, listen, you cannot come and say it's okay to slander someone. And then... Try to speak the word from that same mouth. Psalms 140 says, Let's not slander or be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I think God doesn't like slanderers. Proverbs 10, 18, Whoever spreads slander is a, say it with me, fool. 1 Corinthians 5, 11, But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral and greedy and adulterer, slanderer, 
a drunkard or a swindler. It's just not, we don't slander our family, we don't slander organizations, we don't slander politicians, we don't slander the church. We don't. Here's number five, tail-bearing. You're like, how is he going to do this in two minutes? <laughs> Miracles. Number five, tail-bearing. Here's the definite, revealing secrets or breaking confidence. When someone, this is an incredible thing that the church needs to understand. The enemy wants you to tell secrets so that the church, people in the body, stop being healed. Look at this verse. A tail-bearer reveals circuits, but he who is faithful spirit conceals the matter. James 5 says this, confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. You confess your faults to God to be forgiven, but you confess your faults to one another to be healed. Satan doesn't want you to be healed. He wants you to keep a secret. You know why people won't share secrets? Because we do this type of thing. Well, I want to share something with you, but it's important that you're not sharing. Oh, yes, I would never do that. Oh, brother. Let's pray. We pray. Two days later, you're sitting with someone. Oh, man, I, I need to share something with you. But you can't tell anyone. This is, I mean, of utmost importance that you don't tell anyone. Yes, I, I won't tell. They tell that. That person then is sitting with someone else. Man, I, I need to share something with you, but you cannot tell anyone. And then we wonder why people don't share what they're going through because they don't know what it's going to look like when they get back. Right? Because how many played the game of telephone? Right? Even, you know, when you ask the person and they come to you and they come to tell you the secret, the moment you listen to them, you become complicit in it as though you were doing it. So you said, I was the one that gossiped. Did you listen to it? Yes. Then you did it. You say, but I didn't want to hurt their feelings when they were telling me. Would you rather them like you or go to hell? Now, I'm not saying they're going to hell because they did it, but do you want to help your brother grow past it? Because the only way any of us are going to overcome the issues we have with gossiping and slandering, because how many know most of us in this room are pretending like we're all good in church? Like we smell real good, but we're all kind of struggling with some of these things. And it's affecting our futures. It's affecting the future of the church. And we all sit here and pat each other in the back saying, well, you don't do this. This is everyone on the outside but we're sabotaging the future of the church, and we're wondering why church isn't changing communities because out of our mouth comes death, right? So when someone comes to you and they tell you a secret, you need to say, stop, I don't need the secret. If that's a secret, first of all, I don't even know what variation of the secret you're going to tell me, right? And it wasn't for me. It's not for my consumption. That's a secret, and they need to be able to trust you so they can be healed. Here's number six, cursing, cursing. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced seat. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, cursing. Uh, cursing is exactly what it is. It's cursing, all right? It's not using words that, ooh, right? Now, I played basketball a few years ago. Um, and I was, when I play, and there, would, there was this one guy in particular, there, a lot of people 
would say things, but cursing isn't the cuss words. That's not cursing. Cursing actually curses, okay? And this guy would, he'd miss a shot and he'd go, God damn it. Some of you are like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. See, that's the whole problem. You're more offended by the fact I use the words than the effect of what the words do. He'd say, God damn it. And, I'd, and, and he'd say it again, and he'd say, I said, hey, dude, stop damning your game. You're bad enough the way it is. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I'm sorry I offended you. I said, this, you're not offending me. But if you're on the other team, go ahead and curse your game. But when you're playing with me, start blessing your shot. You need all of it you can get. I said, I, you, don't, you don't think I had that conversation. But I did. The other guys were all laughing at him because it, they knew it was true. Like, like you, if you wanted to get better, stop cursing your kids. You never behave. You're always bad. You never tell the truth. That's cursing. You had a problem with me saying, God damn it, but that's what you do every time you tell them you're not this. You're basically using your words to do the exact same thing those two words said. Does that make sense? The other day we were getting John and Molly Moon in our house and the girls were beating us and I tried to curse their marbles. It didn't work. We were playing a marble game and we were losing. And I'm like, curse their marbles. <laughs> It didn't work. But we curse our children, we curse our spouse, we curse our finances, and we curse our activity. But because we don't use the cuss words, we think we're not doing anything wrong. How are you talking about it? Here's number seven, blasphemy. That's taking the names of the Lord, using the words. One, it's using words like Jesus Christ just as an anger response or as a subtle. It's using the name of God in a, in a manner where you don't honor the name. But it's another way that's even more used. It's when we claim he told us to do something he didn't tell us to do. That's blasphemy. You blasphemy God when you say he told you to do something. He told me to leave my job. Did he? Did he? And then when someone's asked, tell me about when you heard that. When, when was that? Well, who are you to tell me? That's between their brother and the Lord saying, are you committing blasphemy right now? To say he told you to do something is far worse than even using his name in an unworthy manner. Here's number eight, filthy language. When we use our words in a filthy way through anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of the mouth. It's, it's when we use it in, in lustful ways. Number nine, contentious speech. When we, have, we develop contentious attitude and we're always argumentative and we're always just got an attitude of always wanting to fight, always disagreeable, always challenging, always questioning, always just trying to stir things up. And number 10 is unbelief. You know, the spies, 12 spies come back, 10 of them had the speech of unbelief, and their speech stirred up unbelief in the heart of the people to where they, it, it rerouted their future, stopped their future. Two of them said, no, this is what God wants us to do. They used their speech to try to bring faith, but 10 of them are taking away that faith. How often do we do that to people? where they have faith, and we're like, we use our speech to take away faith. We're stopping 
them in their pursuit of what they believe God told them. Our unbelief, how often in our life, you know, people say, well, I'm just being a realist. Here's my definition of realist. It's an optimistic pessimist. It's a pessimist that wants to think they're positive. So I'm just being real. No, you're a pessimist. Your attitude is always the worst. It's always cup half empty. It's always looking at we're never going to have enough. It's never going to be enough. It's the only, here, here's the reality, because God wants to bless his children. The only way he can bless us is to get their mouths to line up with their words. He needed to get the people's mouths to say, yeah, God wants us to take us into a promised land where there are giants for two reasons. One, he wanted them to have words of faith so that they knew, because they knew they were only able to do it if he was able to help them. Do you, do you know the other reason why he took them into a land of giants? Because he wanted them to have king-sized beds, uh, 15-foot ceilings, you know, big houses, because these were giants, right? He's just trying to, he was going to bless them. But they couldn't, that was a joke. That, Will you stand? I think I'm like some of you are sleeping right now, so just stand. Really? I didn't know that. They they had hopes. <laughs> how many how many are ready to just say, okay, God, I'm gonna invite you to come into my heart to judge my heart. When I say that, immediately in your minds you're thinking, what will that look like? Do you trust him? Do you trust God? Do you trust that every good and perfect gift comes from him? Do you, do you trust that? Then will you do that right now? Say, God, I got a problem with my mouth. First, you got to admit, there's a problem with my mouth. And it's been taking, it's been eating my blessing. My mouth has been eating my blessing. I haven't tasted and seen your good because I've been literally sabotaging your blessing in my life. Just like those 10 spies. God, I want that to change. I want to be a life-giving soul. I want to be, I want my mouth to bring life. If that's you, just close your eyes. You don't need to bow your head. Just close your eyes and just talk to the Lord right now. Just begin asking him right now. Let's have a conversation. The Holy Spirit's here. And you're going to start to see a change in your life when you start to come in alignment with that word. Believe me, it's going to happen. <laughs> 